Okay, we're still going through the Old Testament. We're up to 2 Kings chapter 5. If you're following along in your Bible, there's 2 Kings chapter 5 is where we're going through today. We stopped last time at a funny spot, so I want to start back a little further to get us back in the story so we can pick up the thought of what was going on. If you look at the beginning of 2 Kings chapter 5, just at verse 1, it says, Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. And then it tells us why. Because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. So now I'll jump down to verse 14, so we kind of get our, back in our thinking that this is starting out about Naaman here. In verse 14 it says, So he went down, talking of Naaman here, and he dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him. And he said, indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. So Elisha would not receive any, any gift from Naaman there. This is what Elisha the prophet wanted Naaman to see. He wanted him to see the Lord. He wasn't wanting to distract from that or take away from that at all. So he wanted him to see that, that God was real and that he needed to submit to the true God. So at this point, it happened. It is just what he was hoping for. You know, Naaman's focus was on the Lord. Elisha didn't want anything to distract him from it. So when Naaman offered to give Elisha some kind of gift here for the healing, Elisha refused it. You know, he knew all the glory belongs to the Lord, and he wasn't going to touch that glory, and that's great wisdom there. So there's a powerful lesson for us in that. When the Lord uses us to minister to someone, we need to be careful not to touch any of the glory that belongs to the Lord. You know, after all, it was the Lord who did the work through us, right? So all the credit goes to him because he alone deserves the credit. You know, Elisha here, he felt that if he took anything from Naaman, no matter how small the gift was, that he would be accepting partially the credit here for the miracle. And Elisha wanted Naaman to see that this was all done by the Lord. So Elisha wanted Naaman's faith to be completely in the Lord, not in people, not in him, not in having to run to this guy. He wanted him to know God did this. He did all of it, okay? Not, it wasn't Elisha. So it's very important that we see that because of what's going to happen later in our passage here. So let's go down to verse 19 as we're getting back into the story here in uh, first, uh, 2 Kings chapter 5, down to verse 19. So then he said to him, so this is Elisha speaking to Naaman, he said, go in peace. So he departed from him a short distance, but Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, you remember him from last time we were in this passage, uh, he, he says he's the servant of Elisha, the man of God. He said, look, my master has spared Naaman, this Syrian, while not receiving from his hands what he brought. 
But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. So up to this point, Gehazi's been a pretty good servant to Elisha, you know, and he's had a very honored position. He's the servant of Elisha the prophet, and it really had to be amazing to have a front row seat and witness all the miracles that the Lord was doing through Elisha the prophet. You know, but we see from his statement here that Gehazi here, he's got some bad character flaws, and they were beginning to show up. So let's look closer at some of these issues that we're starting to, to see come to the surface here. First of all, when, when Gehazi calls Naaman this Syrian, <laughs> if you caught the way that he said that, you know, that sounds pretty degrading. Naaman has just become a believer. Yeah, he's not an Israelite, he's not of Jewish descent, but he is now a believer in the true God of Israel, okay? And that means he's a spiritual brother to Gehazi, assuming that Gehazi's right with the Lord. <laughs> he's had a pretty good thing going along so far, but, you know, we don't know. We're hoping that Gehazi's a true believer. All we have to work with are the verses we've seen on him. We can't see his actual heart. So from what we know, it looks like he's, he's a follower of the Lord, but some of the stuff he's doing here isn't very appealing. You know, assuming that now these guys are both believers, they are equal in the eyes of the Lord, right? So to refer to Naaman as some pagan, which is what he is saying by this Syrian, <laughs> it, it sounds like, you know, when he calls him the Syrian, it shows a picture of prejudice on Gehazi's part, and that looks really bad when you stop and catch that. Now, I think the Lord lets us see how bad this looks. So when we notice it, we can check ourselves, you know, and make sure that we're not looking down on anybody else for any reason at all. The Lord's very clear on this in the New Testament. Take a look at Philippians chapter 2 for a second here. Philippians chapter 2 in the New Testament. And verse 3, I mean, it pretty well nails it for us here. And we can apply this in, in every single area of how we look at people and, you know, how the Lord calls us to minister to folks. But Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. That's talking about being humble. Let each esteem others better than himself. So Lord doesn't even tell us to see everybody as your equal. <laughs> he says you look at others as being better than you, okay? That's a pretty good word uh, to somebody who maybe had a prejudiced background. So back here to see Gehazi looking down on Naaman because he was not Jewish is a bad sign, right? You don't want people like that working with your disciple, because it would really cause some damage later on if it comes out that they're being treated that way. So yeah, can you imagine if, if uh, Naaman were somewhere and Gehazi's coming up behind him, doesn't know he's there, and says something about, yeah, that Syrian guy, you know? You just damaged a disciple. That's a bad thing to do. So that's one issue we see coming up. Another one, another problem we see here with Gehazi is when he's thinking to himself that Elisha didn't receive the gifts that Naaman brought. But he thinks that Elisha should have, you know. Uh, this shows that in his thinking, he believed that Elisha deserved these gifts. Because after all, Naaman did get healed, and that's why he came in the first place, to get healing. He got it. So in his mind, 
you know, Elisha was in this, he did this, so he should be getting something for it. But this is a warning to us too. When we get to that place of entitlement, where we think that we deserve something because we serve the Lord, then we've got a problem, you know? Gehazi doesn't understand his position fully of being a servant here. Uh, look at how Jesus described being a servant and the attitude that a servant should have. Look at Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, the Lord is, is very clear on this, and these words kind of sting us, I think. We're Americans, and we like to think better of ourselves, right? We, think, we like to think that we're a step above here. But when it comes to being a servant of the Lord, Luke chapter 17, I think some of the disciples had the same attitude of thinking that, hey, we are so close to Jesus. We see him every day, so we are better than most. Yeah, but look what Jesus said in Luke 17. Look down to verse 7. In which of you, Jesus speaking here, having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. <laughs> but will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. Ooh. So likewise, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, by the Lord obviously, say we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. And that is a good servant attitude to have. That I'm serving the Lord and I'm doing what he called me to do. So if ever I'm tempted to think, man, I should get something more for this. Whoa, 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 whoa. You have a master. And what did he give up for you? Everything. Right? Yeah, so think that one through. So the Lord is going to reward his servants who are faithful, right? For sure he's going to do that. But that's because of the Lord's grace and his kindness. Not because we deserve anything from the Lord. You know, when we stand before the Lord's presence and glory, we're told we're going to cast our crowns at his feet anyway, right? Because we're going to realize fully at that time, we didn't do anything. <laughs> this is all you, Lord. We don't, we don't deserve anything for this. You're the one who did the work through us, right? So you deserve all the credit. And, and we'll be handing that to the Lord. It will be given to him at that time. So there's a third issue, too, I think, with Gehazi here. Uh, we see that when he said he was going to run after Naaman, did you notice he said, I'm going to take something from him? Man, that sounds bad. He doesn't even see that he was going to ask politely if Naaman was still willing to give him something, but he was going to take it. And I think Gehazi realized that Naaman's very vulnerable at this point because Naaman was so grateful for his cleansing from leprosy. He could see that in his face. It's probably blowing now, you know, that he has this childlike skin after his leprosy was cleansed. So Gehazi, feeling that he had the upper hand in this because Elisha's helper, that's who he was, right, so to speak. Gehazi wasn't going to ask. He was going to manipulate the conversation and take whatever he could get. Ooh, this is a very wicked thing that he's doing. We want to think about this a second. We see the same thing going on today when some of the so-called ministries like to take advantage of new believers. They exhort these new believers to give healthy, you know, dig deep, when you want to give to this ministry. And they say it in such a way that they're actually taking their money, just like Gehazi did here, you know. Uh, it was in his heart to take this from Naaman. 
And, and look at the determination that Gehazi, Gehazi used here to take these things. Gehazi said this, as the Lord lives, I'm going to do this. So he's, going to, he's, he's got this, it should really, really bug us too. When we hear somebody say something like this, you know, when they're doing, they're just doing all they can to do their own selfish, ambitious will. That should, that should trouble us, you know. And yet they're going to drag the Lord into this and make it sound like they got God's approval. As the Lord lives, I'm going to go do this. The Lord's not on your side. He's not backing you on this. You know, that's your selfish ambition. So go on to verse 21, back at 2 Kings uh, chapter 5 there. <clears throat> so Gehazi pursued Naaman, said he was going to do it. When Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him, and he said, is all well. Now, if you remember the story from the beginning of chapter 5, you know, about how arrogant and high-minded Naaman was, we see a remarkable change in his attitude and demeanor. I mean, look what he was like before he came to know the Lord back in verse 10 of this passage. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and he went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me, stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. <clears throat> Are not the Abana and the far, far, the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and he went away in a rage. Same guy, okay, who is now very humble, you know, very willing to give help to God's people here. So it's, it's interesting to see his change. But now the difference you see in him, you can imagine how humble he is and servant-minded. I mean, we're told that when he, he looked and he saw Gehazi running after him, Naaman got down from his chariot to meet Gehazi himself, you know? He could have sent one of his servants to speak with Gehazi and say, go see what that guy wants. But instead, he goes to him. He's the guy in charge, you know? He gets down and he goes to speak to him himself. And then he asks, is all, is all well? You know, essentially he's saying, is everything okay? You know, it comes across as if he's saying, are you guys all right? Is there something I can do for you? And in his response, you know, it appears that he has now got a servant's heart as opposed to an arrogant heart that he did before. So all this is a good sign to see the drastic change. And this isn't all uncommon to see in a new believer. But you contrast that with the selfish and greedy heart that Gehazi is displaying right now by his actions. And Gazi turns out to be such a bad example of somebody who claims to know the Lord. Verse 22, it gets worse, unfortunately. He said, all is well. My master has sent me, saying, indeed, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Go figure, two guys just showed up here. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. So notice all the lies that Gazi tells here just to get his selfish way. You know, we can't relate to this, right? We've never done anything like this, right? So here's him pulling out these lies. First, he says that his master has sent him. And that pulls Elisha into the story. He knows very well that Naaman's got a soft spot for Elisha, right? Since he's the one that introduced him to the Lord. Wow, yeah, you, you care about that guy. So if he's in this, well, I got my ears are open. My barriers are down, right? Then he tells a second lie. 
about two young men who supposedly just came to Gehazi, and he describes them as being from a group, the sons of the prophets. <laughs> so he portrays them as these really good guys, too. So obviously, you'd want to help really good guys, wouldn't you? I mean, he's really working it. It's really sad to look at this. And, and by his description of these two imaginary young men that he conjured up in his life, these two guys were poor, and they really had some immediate needs. They each needed money and clothes, according to Gehazi's lies. But stop for a minute and think about this. What Gehazi is saying by making these statements, especially to a new believer like Naaman, if these things were true, which it was all a lie anyway, but if these things were true, which is what he's portraying, he's saying that these young guys are really bad off, then Gehazi was saying that God wasn't taking care of his own people. I mean, think about that. If these two imaginary young men were that bad off, then God must have either not been able to help them or he didn't care to help them enough. Yeah, so these statements that Gehazi was coming up with are really putting the Lord in a bad light. That's why, man, you start telling lies, you better watch it. <laughs> Who's the father of lies? The devil, right? Before you know it, you might be saying things that are pointing the finger at God without even realizing how bad you're going here, what direction you're doing. So here's what he was doing. So this shows us how wicked this was, what Kahazi was trying to pull off here. He thought he was just, you know, going to do himself a favor. He was in the enemy's territory and didn't even realize what he was doing. Okay, so Elisha, he'd been so careful to show how good and how gracious God was in front of Naaman. He did that by saying that he didn't need anything from Naaman when Naaman offered to give him numerous gifts. Elisha's refusal of those things was partly saying that, that my God is good, you know, I don't have any needs because the Lord's taking care of me. He's taking good care of me. But now by Gehazi's foolish action, Gehazi was given the opposite message. And some of these so-called ministries that you see on TV today, they portray God the same way as they take money from God's people. You know, they say things like, God really needs you to dig deep and give sacrificially to keep this ministry going. As though God really needs our help. I mean, think about that. I like what somebody said. Well, they're not lying when they say things like God needs you like he's never needed you before because he never needed you before either. So I thought I liked that statement. It's true. But if you listen to some of these TV ministries, you get the idea that the Lord's broke, you know, and he's not able to keep things going and he needs your help to pay the bills, you know. What a horrible thing to say about our Lord. Is he not the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills? Are those things not true? What does he need from us? He created everything. He doesn't need anything. So things like that and what Ghazi was saying should really infuriate us. You know, these are really horrible statements when you think them through, what they're actually saying. And you know, as smooth as Gehazi was, was coming up with these lies, I wouldn't be surprised if this wasn't the first time he tried to pull something like this. I could be wrong, but it seems to come pretty natural to him. You know, verse 23. So Naaman said, please, Take two talents. So here's a new believer, very grateful for what God's done for him. He said, and he's only been asked to give one talent to these guys. But he said, here, take two talents. And he urged him. And he bound, can you, can you see Gazi? Oh, no, no, you don't have to do that. <laughs> right. He says, he urged him, and he bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments. And that's huge to get a change of clothes like this. And handed them to two of his servants and they carried him on ahead of him. So these guys are carrying this stuff in front of him. So, so Naaman, 
he jumps at the opportunity to help these guys that Gehazi has just described. And Lord bless Naaman. He even gives beyond what was asked of him, you know. And these talents of silver, they were not light. This wasn't just a little coin he was flipping at him. That's why he took two servants to be able to carry these two bags for Gehazi. Verse 24, when he came to the citadel, he took them from their hands. So Gehazi says, oh, this is far enough. Let me take these from you. And he stored them away in the house. He didn't hide them. Then he let the men go, and they departed. So when they got close, you know, Gehazi, he took the clothes and the money from the guys because he didn't want Elisha to see what he had done. You know, but that's going to, it's not going to help a lot Gehazi because right away, Elisha's going to put him on the spot. Look at verse 25. Now he went in and he stood before his master, Elisha, and he said to him, where did you go, Gehazi? And he said, your servant did not go anywhere. <laughs> so now he tries to lie to cover up his other lies, right? And that's usually what happens. It usually takes more lies to cover up the previous lies. So the exhortation would be, don't even start lying in the first place. Because you'll be surprised how many you're going to have to come up with to ask politicians that question, right? <clears throat> Verse 26, then he said to him, did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? So Elisha's saying, my heart was right there, man. I saw what was going on. He said, is it time to receive money and receive clothing? You know, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and, and female servants. And he's saying, this is, this is not the right time to do that. I mean, they accepted things for their ministry at other times, but a time like this, when you've got a new believer and he's got opportunity just to, to just live in the pure grace of God, this is not the time to accept anything from him. And that's what he's pointing out here. So Elisha lets him know that he's fully aware of what he did. And somehow the Lord let Elisha in on this whole thing because he said, didn't you know my heart was right there to, with you when you did that? And this list of things that he gives, it's quite a grocery list there, you know, the clothing, the vineyard, sheep, oxen, female servants, male servants, and all that. Uh, Gehazi was probably hoping to purchase all these with the money that he just got. Yeah, he could afford it with the money he got there. So how sad, think about this, to value these things more than he valued giving the Lord the good reputation that he deserved in the eyes of Naaman. Wow. So verse 27, therefore... The leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence, leprous as white as snow. He just lost his job. He's not going to be the servant here anymore because if you got leprosy, you're not going to be helping the, the, the prophet very much. You need to get away so you're going to have to be isolated. So he left with the leprosy. Like somebody said, Gehazi wanted Naaman, he wanted everything that Naaman had. So as a judgment, the Lord makes sure he gave him all that Naaman had. <laughs> He got his leprosy as well. What a just judgment he received. And as the saying goes, be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. Wow. So chapter 5 started out on such a good note, but it ended on a sour note. And we see that quite often in the scriptures. You know, things look like they're going really good and all of a sudden, <sighs> you know, we say, I wish there would have been a period there and the story would have ended, but it didn't. It went on and it got worse, you know. And it's not because of the Lord. It's all because of the sinfulness of man. He always seems to mess up what the Lord's trying to do. Yeah. So we got to be careful. Uh, we know the enemy comes to try to steal our joy after we've seen a blessing. That's pretty common. But we got to be careful because 
Our own flesh can trick us. Before we know it, we're, we're in a mess here that we've created ourselves. Okay? Let's go on to chapter 6. We've got a few minutes here. The sons of the prophet said to Elisha. So this is another thing going on. They come up to the prophet Elisha here. Gehazi's out of the picture. says, see now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. And that's a good thing. <laughs> the number of young men who wanted to serve the Lord was growing, so they needed a bigger place. That's, that's good news. Please, let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, go. So they asked permission. They had a plan and everything. And, you know, Elisha says, yeah, if you guys want to do that, go right ahead and go. So verse 3, then one of them said, please consent to go with your servants. So they're saying, please come along. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. That was good that they wanted him to be with them. You know, that shows they cared about him and they wanted to be around him. That's a good sign. Also, another thing we see, these guys are willing to work with their hands. That's pretty cool. You know, they're willing to serve in whatever capacity was needed at the time. And I see that as such a, a rich blessing there. Some folks have limitations they put on concerning how far they're going to go in serving the Lord. Well, if the Lord wants me to do this, I'll do that. But Lord, don't ask me to do this. I'm not going there. I'm not going to do that. You're putting limitations on how God can use you. But truthfully, you think about it, we don't have any right to put limits on our service to the Lord. We should be willing to go as far as the Lord wants us to go, right? I mean, after all, Jesus went all the way to the cross for us, the death of a criminal. So who are we to say, Lord, just don't ask me to do this. I'm not going to go there. Try that with your boss. <laughs> uh, boss, I'll do this and this, but don't ask me that. Boss is going to say, yeah, I don't need you anymore. Bye. You know. So verse 5 goes on. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe fell into the water head, the axe head. And he cried out and he said, alas, master, for it was borrowed. So he's calling out to Elisha here for help. Now these tools, they weren't cheap. I mean, they obviously don't have the money to buy an axe head. That's why it was borrowed here. So this guy was feeling doubly bad. Not only did he mess up the work, but he's also, you know, dropped the thing that wasn't even his here, an expensive tool. So verse 6, so the man of God said, where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick and he threw it in there and he made the iron float. Therefore, he said, pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and he took it. Now, there's a practical lesson here. You know, God can fix, this is the practical side we see, he can fix impossible situations when they go wrong. Our God can do that. So don't think, oh, I can't even pray about this one. Oh, yes, you can. You can pray and say, I don't know how you could fix this, Lord, but I'm asking you to fix it, you know? And man, that's a good word as we pray for folks that are thinking suicidal thoughts, you know? They really get to that dark place where they think, I can't see any further. There's light on the other side. And that's because Jesus lives and he's on the throne. So don't ever think there's something God cannot fix because there's nothing impossible for the Lord. So the enemy lies to us and he tries to blind us to that fact. But there is always help with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the spiritual lesson on this, when you lose your cutting edge, you allow the Lord to examine you and find out where you lost it. Like he said here, he asked him where to fall in it, where to go. And you allow then the Lord to apply the cross. Notice he, he's going to throw a stick in here. And that's, what is a stick going to do to help find something, you know, in the water? 
that sticks a piece of wood. It's kind of a picture of the cross here. So when we lose our cutting edge, we, we ask the Lord to examine us. We ask him to apply the gospel, apply the cross, and then the Lord can fix us and get our cutting edge back. You know, I've always found it helpful when, when I go back to the cross. You know, then the Lord fixes my heart and he gets it back in the right spot where it's supposed to be. So you can do this. You just go to the gospel accounts of Jesus when he was going to be crucified. And man, you can start at Matthew, then go to Mark, just read all the way through the gospel accounts talking about the crucifixion. And it will have a very good effect on your heart. The Lord does a great job of, of bringing us back to the place of humility, you know, of getting our focus back on the Lord where it's supposed to be. And, and what would you call that? That's the cutting edge. That's what we need, right? Now, we see a couple of things here. I, I see some steps in faith in this story that I didn't want us to miss. For one, it took faith to call out to the master, to Elisha, for help. When it fell in, he, he cried out, Master, I lost this thing, and it was borrowed, you know? So he cried out to Elisha. He was trusting that he could help him when he was in real trouble. And it takes faith on our part, too, to call out to the Lord when we're in trouble, right? Unfortunately, in our culture, we're so independent, that means that we're used to doing things ourselves and doing things our own way, that we don't always stop to ask the Lord for help, you know? Usually, that's the last resort when we finally decide to pray. Kind of the guy that's lost and his wife said, why don't you ask for directions? No, no, I'm going to figure this out, you know. So he drives around for quite a while and then finally has to humbly stop and ask for help. Kind of the same picture there. But, you know, it sure helps when we learn to pray first, you know, rather than try to fix things ourselves first and then have to go to the Lord. So that's one step of faith I see that they, he did call out for, for God's help through Elisha here. Another step of faith, it took a, fa a step of faith here to reach out and pick up the floating axe. Did you notice that in verse 7? Therefore I said, pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and he took it. And it took a step of faith to do that too, to pick up a floating axe head, right? The Lord could have made it pop right out of the water, but he didn't. He just made it float. That way the servant would experience touching the miracle himself. And what a testimony. He wouldn't just be able to say, wow, we saw this thing float and pop out on the ground or anything. And, but this guy could actually say, I reached in and I picked up a floating axe head in the water while it was still floating. You know, it's a very cool thing when we're, we're part of a miracle like that and we get a powerful testimony from it too. I wanted to tell you, I got a, a call from Fred last night and Fred said uh, his, his father-in-law, they've been praying for his father-in-law for some time He's had some real health issues. He's up in his years. And Fred said he had a call to run next door to his father-in-law's house. He gets over there and he says, my father-in-law was gone by the time I got there. He had passed. So I said, Fred, I'm, I'm so sorry. And he says, oh, no. He said, I prayed for him and started rubbing his back and he came back. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> and Fred said, yeah. And by the time he almost got there, he was doing pretty well. So that's why Fred's not here. He said, I may not be here tomorrow because it depends how long we're going to be at the hospital there. But I mean, you think about this. The Lord could have brought him back instantly. He could have brought him back when, when Fred walked in. But it wasn't until Fred prayed and laid his hands on him to just rub his back and he got to touch that miracle. 
And I know you've been there too. If you've trusted God, if you stepped out in faith and you said, Lord, I need help with this, and Lord will, will take it so far, but he wants you to touch it. So you had that testimony. What a testimony to be able to say, I didn't just hear about this. I didn't just see this. I was part of this, right? So the Lord did that here with these guys. He, he let them be part of this miracle that he did. So uh, we're going to stop at this point. I was hoping to get a little bit further here, but I thought it's really cool. You know, the, the man of God asked him, where did it fall? And he showed him the place. Now, what are the chances you lose? So I got to tell you this. I just had this this week. It was crazy. What are the chances of finding something when you drop it in the water, especially muddy water where, you know, you can't see it? You don't know. I heard a crazy story this week. I, I thought I'll throw this out there too for you. There's a, I'm talking to an insurance guy. He said they insured a, a ring for this family. This ring was a very expensive ring, $40,000. The guy lost it, or his wife, whoever it was, he didn't tell me. One of them lost it in the Lake of the Ozarks. It's gone, right? It's gone. But the insurance company decided it would be cheaper to pay the divers to go look for it than to replace the ring. So they did. The divers were $1,000 an hour, and they found the ring. <laughs> So they must have read this story before they dove. I don't know how that worked, but it actually was. So he said, yeah, the company thought, rather than pay 40 grand up front, we're going to try this first. We're going to pay these divers to go get it, and they did. So don't ever think that the situation is so impossible that nothing can work. You never know what God's going to do. You never know. Just like Rich encourages, you know, don't underestimate the Lord, man. Our God's amazing. All right, let, let's go to prayer. Father, you are so good and you're so amazing. And it's a joy, Lord, to be able to point to you and say, you are our God. You are the God of the impossible. And Lord, you show us these things that you might encourage us in your love. And let us know how much you love us and how much you care about us. So Father, if somebody's here today or somebody's watching, Lord, we just pray. If, if they've got to the point where they think, there's nothing I can do. I don't know where else to go. Lord, open their eyes and their heart to you. Help them to cast every single care upon you because you care so deeply about them. And Lord, if there's someone who doesn't know Jesus yet, they haven't found the complete forgiveness of their sins. They have not found the peace that passes understanding because you alone can give that, Lord. If someone has not come to Christ today, I pray, Lord, Move in their heart. Let them see their need, that they, they, they have everything taken care of in Christ. All their sins completely removed, complete forgiveness, a perfect relationship with you, and an eternity to just be thrilled about. So, Lord, we ask you to move in people's hearts and lives and do amazing things, all for your glory and all for your praise. And we thank you for these things, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.